How many people like a, a feel-good ending? Are you guys fans of those upbeat movies that end good? Rudy, <clears throat> right? Star Wars, all the old Star Wars, they always end after all their perils and adventures. At the end, they're always like all cleaned up, shiny with the little gold medallions, you know, and they're always walking down. Dun, 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 dun. All the crowds, everyone cheering, and there they are. It's like, they did it, you know? And there's something so good about that, right? We've been looking at the life of Joseph here at Branches in 1500 BC around the book of Genesis. This story of a guy who trusted God through all the twists and turns of his life. And today is one of those feel-good moments. All right, so get ready. This is kind of one of those feel-good moments for Joseph. It's not the greatest one. It's one precursor to the greatest. We're in a four-part series, and this is the third. So we're second to the last look at Joseph's life. So, so Joseph, man, he surrenders so much in his life. We've been talking these last few weeks. He, he starts out as this privileged kid in his family. He gets this fancy colored coat from his dad. His dad especially likes him, and the brothers are jealous of his favor and status. And so he actually gets captured by the brothers. They're going to kill him, but then Reuben, one of the other brothers, talks the other brothers out of killing him and says, why don't we just throw him down in one of these old wells? And then, then they're like, they're going to leave him to die out there. They, they, and, then, and then actually a caravan of traders comes by and they sell him to, to sell him as a slave, to travel off and be a slave somewhere. And sure enough, that's where he goes. He, he gives up. He's just forced to surrender. His fancy coat gets ripped off him and, and thrown away. His identity as like a special person is dashed in a way. He even has these dreams that someday he's going to lead and be an influencer and have, have an influence and a, a care for people. That gets kind of dashed altogether because now he's just a slave that's sold off to serve in a house in Egypt. And then, sure enough, he, he's there for a while. He's, he's, he's serving, and, and he surrenders even his reputation and all of that, too, because he gets accused of something he didn't do. And then he gets thrown in prison. And then he surrenders his freedom in, in big ways. And, and then he's in prison, and he's, he's accused of this thing. And, and, and all of that, he somehow stays open to God, like able to sort of follow God and surrender his life to God. In fact, all along the way, he says, I want to try and honor God with my life. I don't want to do the wrong thing. You know, he actually surrenders to integrity, right? Surrenders to doing the right thing. And even though things don't work out in his favor when he does it, you know, so it's just like Joseph is this interesting character. So open to God, no matter what happens. And then also in these situations when he's uh, uh, working as a slave of this house, he actually does a good job. Like, he doesn't just sort of phone it in. He's not grumpy. He doesn't complain to God and throw his fists up in the air and go, why did you let this happen to me? No, he just, he actually does like a good job. He wants to honor the people around him and work hard and, and he does and he makes that house flourish and he organizes it and administrates all the different parts of the household and it just blows up. It does great. Everybody's happy. And when he's in prison, he does the same thing. He doesn't get mad and grumpy and like, uh, he actually serves the prisoners. He actually like helps the prison guards. He becomes MVP of the prison. You know, they're like, we love this guy. And, and then he's, he's just serving people and he's making prison 
better. <laughs> like, what? And, and then in prison, he actually interprets these dreams. He, God gives him this ability to interpret dreams, and he begins to use that with his friends, fellow prisoner inmates. And then he gets this chance, right, to see Pharaoh. Pharaoh has this bad dream himself, this confusing dream that seems sort of predictive. And so he's like, who can interpret dreams? Word comes around. Joseph gets invited up to interpret the dream for Pharaoh. And then even in that moment, Joseph does. He interprets the dream, but he's so careful to give God all the credit. He surrenders like his, the ability to promote himself, make himself look good. He says, you know what? I can't do this, but God can do this. And so sure enough, he interprets the dream. Pharaoh is like, wow, this is really helpful. And Joseph says, and you know, in light of this dream, I think it's God telling you what's going to happen. And what he's saying is seven years of bumper crops and awesome resources and then seven years of famine, starvation, sorrow. You should plan for this. And you should put someone in charge so that you can organize all this so it all flourishes and people get what they want. And then Pharaoh says, great idea. I love this. And then there's Joseph standing there with his chains on right out of prison. And the Pharaoh and his counselors decide what they're going to do now. And, and, Pharaoh, and, and Joseph, again, he doesn't like say, and pick me, and I should be the one who should do it. You know, I organized Potiphar's house good. I organized the prison. I can do this. And no, he just says, you should find somebody that's wise like that. And, and, and Pharaoh's like, okay, we'll do that. And there he is. And it's, Joseph's about ready to, you know, just turn around and go back to prison with his chains. And, and Pharaoh and his friends, they talk amongst themselves. And here's what they say. Uh, this is chapter 41, verses 38, 37. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his official, Pharaoh said, can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the Spirit of God. So then Pharaoh said to Joseph, as he starts turning to go towards his prison cell, Pharaoh says, Hey, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or as wise as you. Um, as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. So, like one fell swoop, right? One moment, Joseph goes from prisoner to second in charge of all of Egypt. The, 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 the unfolding sequence of events is like, Dramatic. It's mind-boggling. Pharaoh takes off his fancy golden signet ring. He puts it on Joseph's hand. Joseph's like prison tattered rags are taken off and he's put on this gold, gorgeous golden robe. All the fancy royal linens, right? Better than that one coat he got as a kid. Now he's decked out gold chain, all this stuff, fancy gold paraphernalia all around him. He's like this prince. He's like in charge of everything. He rides in a special chariot and in this special chariot, he is a person that commands the chariot and as he goes through crowds, the person says, kneel down, kneel down, kneel down. Here he comes and everyone has to bow down to Joseph as he comes through. I mean, 
he starts to administrate what he said he would do. He does just what he's been doing all along in his life and all these other places. He starts organizing all the stuff, just what his dream said, just how God said it would happen. All the grain starts pouring in, all the resources. So Joseph organizes places around the country, filling up these giant bins and, and all this extra stuff, helping people not take too much, telling them, hey, we're saving this. It's really important. Everyone's like, why? You're like, no, this is, a, this is a plan. I have a plan. You know, and, and all this is starting to happen. All the things that he had surrendered, all these things starting to come back to him. God working it out. God redeeming and restoring the most broken things. And that's what's so powerful about this is that we get a chance in our lives to surrender to God's way of restoring things, to God's way of redeeming broken things. When we try and fix it ourselves and make it happen ourselves, it's like we just sort of get sort of off the rails. It just falls apart. It doesn't work out like we hoped. But there's something so powerful about saying, God, I'm up, I'm up for what you want to do, how you want to restore, how you want to redeem my life. And that's what Joseph does, and all this stuff happens. He gets married. He gets this, married to this lady, this Egyptian wife. He sort of becomes sort of Egyptian, culturized in a way. He names, he has two sons. And it's interesting he names these sons. This is what he says. Um, one, of the, one of the sons' names is, um, the first one's named Manasseh. And it means this. God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. You know, it's like he's restored and so much of his dreams and identity and all the stuff's back. But isn't it true that he still grieves the past? You know, what happened in his life before is not gone and disappeared. And I think it's so true for us. When God gives us like these good things, he helps us in healing and wholeness. There's still, there's still stuff, right? There's still baggage. There's things in our past that can be harmful and hurtful. And, and it's not like they're just gone all the way. And, and Joseph lives that out. He, he walks that out. He holds these two things in, in, in tandem. One is the sorrow and hurt of his past. The other is the amazing things that God's doing in his life. At the same time, beginning to restore and redeem. You know, when we, when we uh, realize or we surrender to God's way of restoring, his timetable can be difficult for us uh, to, to anticipate. And, and then also, his methods are even difficult to recognize sometimes. We're just like, God, I don't, are you doing this? Are you restoring? Are you redeeming? And yet Joseph seems to walk through this in a surrendered way, letting God do it. The second son he has is named Ephraim, and it, it means God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. And so there's Joseph. He admits that he's in this land of grief, and yet he's able to serve and to help people and do what he feels called to do. Joseph's rise from slavery to, to a position of authority, it reflects God's redemptive power. God has the ability to redeem and restore every broken situation. You know, no act represents this more than Jesus' mission for us, right? That famous verse, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. This is what God does. He redeems and restores every broken situation. Our greatest broken situation, our rejection of God, our distance from God, the, the fact that we couldn't really like earn favor or um, a connection with God because of 
our lives just in disarray and, and, and disinterest in him. And then God sends his son, Jesus, to redeem and restore this rescue mission that Jesus would come and Jesus would live this perfect life, the one we were supposed to live. He would live it in our place. And then, and then Jesus would die on a cross, the punishment that we deserve for our rejection of God. Jesus would take that on himself. And then through his resurrection, Jesus would say, and now you get this second chance to be in relationship with God because of grace, because of forgiveness, this rescue plan that God had all along. And, and Jesus, you know, Joseph, he does this move where he, he um, sets up this country to save people, you know, to help them with their grain and their food. And, and God places Joseph in this way to serve and to rescue hundreds, thousands of people. But Jesus is the greater Joseph in a way because Jesus comes and he meets every need that we have. He's the greatest rescue plan. I love this, uh, this psalm. It's uh, 145, 16. It's about God. It says this about God. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. That's what God does. That's what God does. You know, when situations, I wonder what situations in your life right now that you could place before God so that he can redeem them, so that he can restore them, so he can do it in his way, Right? How could we maybe surrender to God's way of redeeming things and restoring things? God's timetable, God's methods, God's ways. I thought it'd be cool a couple times today to give us a moment of silence. We've done this before in the past, but I thought it'd be cool just if we can. I know it's kind of commotion, there's a little bit of noises, and that's, that's cool. But maybe we can do this. Just like 30 seconds, I'll watch my clock here. 30 seconds to just say, God, what could that situation be in my life? You know, a chance for you to reflect for a moment. Maybe hold it out to God in your heart. A situation that you might have that you could say, God, I need you to restore and redeem in your way. And I want to surrender to your way of restoring and redeeming. Maybe even this morning it's putting your faith, maybe for the first time in, in this rescue plan of Jesus's. You know, to say, Jesus, would you give me faith to trust you for what you did for me? That you could meet my greatest need this relationship with God, hope and grace that he offers. Let's do it. Let's take 30 seconds here and let's ask God to bring up what he wants in our hearts and respond together. You know, as God redeems and restores these broken spots in our life, we're going to have this opportunity to ask God for wisdom as we practice stewardship of what God gives us. God's going to redeem and restore these situations in his way, in his timing. And along the way, God's going to bring wholeness to our lives, maybe where we least expect it, maybe where our greatest hopes are found. But just like Joseph 
as he led in Egypt, we each have an invitation to surrender to stewardship and wisdom with what God gives us. Joseph's stewardship in Egypt, it was so um, pointed, like it really is so practical, right? He saved all this grain, and then when famine came, the next seven years, just like what his dream said, he divvied out that grain. He had it all stored up, and all the different people around the country knew their jobs. People could come in and get food, and they would divvy it out, and he saved a whole country. Multiple countries, people groups all around traveled all the way to Egypt because this famine was far and wide. No one had food, but Joseph was famous for saving this food, providing for all these people, saving, saving so many people. In fact, next week's last installment of the story of Joseph, we get to see this last part of Joseph's life. Remember that hurt and that sorrow of his family origin that he had? We're going to see God in his perfect way redeem and restore even that. And it's going to happen through this need that everyone has to get food, coming to Egypt to get food. You know, whether we feel like we've been given a little bit or much, right? God gives us this, these gifts, this goodness of God. Jesus says this about that in 1610 of Luke. He says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. So each of us, no matter our situation, we've been given by God an allotment of stuff, you know, that God gives us. In fact, we call it, like, oftentimes we'll say time, talent, and treasure. These are things that God gives us, time, talent, and treasure. We've got some resources, we've got some skills, some things we can do, and we all have 24 hours a day. What are we going to do with this time? In fact, these three things are given to us by God. God gives them to us, and we get to be stewards of them, like managers of them, right? We don't own them. It's not my time. It's not my talents. It's not my treasure. It's God's. And so how do I organize that well? Just like Joseph did. How do I administrate this in my life well? How can I serve others with this? You know, each of us has this amount we've been given. And to be a good steward of it, right? We get to surrender to God's wisdom and direction in our life. God's going to grow us and prepare us along the way for what he has for us as we surrender our lives like Joseph. In fact, wasn't it interesting that Joseph was getting prepared to do this very job in Egypt? He was getting prepared in Potiphar's house like he was getting prepared to organize things and take care of stuff. He was getting prepared in the prison as he organized the guards and all the prisoners. And, and then now he's in Egypt and he's doing the same thing. God's preparing him. And, and I know that God has experiences and skills that he's weaving in your life together for ways that he's inviting you to help others and share God's love with others. There's these lessons and experiences, right, that God wants to use and help us. In fact, I love this verse. It's a great reminder for all of us. 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
right? So we've all been given a bit of God's grace in its various forms. And we've all been given an allotment of time, talent, and treasure. And so we get to use that to serve others, just like Joseph did. I mean, I'm sure Joseph dug like the posh living of the chariot and the cool stuff, but I bet he loved serving people, you know, because he did that all along the way. He loved helping people. And he got to be a part of helping so many people. And I know that just filled his heart, you know? I, I, you know, I could talk, and as we close our time, I could talk about time, talent, and treasure, and how we could give these to God at the church, and blah, blah, blah. But I thought, you know what? Cooler than that would be hearing from a person, an individual, right? One of your peers, one of your friends here from the church, someone who helps lead in one of our teams, and He's a little shy. I talked him into this, um, but I'm excited to do a little sit-down interview with our build team leader, Eric Hicks. So would you guys welcome Eric Hicks, you guys. Yeah. Eric Hicks. So Eric, there's a microphone right there, and I think it should be good. It looks like it's on, and you get to sit on this cool stool right here with me, and we're going to do a little interview. <clears throat> Eric Hicks, everybody. <laughs> um, so Eric leads on the build team. You, you might not, you know, he's in the back oftentimes, you know, taking care of everything, making sure everything's safe. Um, but he's here early, many Sundays before anyone is here. He's pulling up his truck with this big trailer in the back with all this stuff in it. And we get a team, we help unload the trailer. And then at the end of the service, Eric helps organize the loading back into the trailer uh, so many uh, times uh, in such a faithful way. And so I'm excited to hear th about just a little bit of how, what God's been doing in your heart to get you here. And it's such an amazing journey that we, we hung out the other day and I got to hear some cool stories and I'm excited for you guys to hear these. So first of all, interestingly, you didn't grow up in America. I did not. Tell, check out your mic. How's that working? Sorry about that. So that yeah, I did not. Okay, tell us about where, where you grew up. We got a picture. The only white boy there. Um, you see yeah. him in the middle? Yeah, so I was born in Venezuela, but I grew up in Ecuador. Well, half of my childhood was in Ecuador. That's why everybody has a different color skin than I do. Yeah. Yep, there you are. There you are in Ecuador. Now, what's really interesting, one of my favorite early childhood stories of yours was... Um, the story about how you got into landscaping, like your friend with the lawnmower. So can you kind of walk us through that? How did that happen? Your very first job, right? Yeah, it was kind of weird. Um, anyway, yeah. Yeah, so we lived in Arcata. Um, you came back from Ecuador. Yeah, we came back from Ecuador, and we, we moved here to the United States, and we, came, and we moved to Arcata, and um, I was just sitting in the front yard, and there's this kid who came by and said, hey, can you help me mow a lawn? And uh, so, yeah, I helped him. He says, yeah, not a problem. He said, I'll give you five bucks. I remember that. And then, um, so we went and mowed the lawn, came back, and he said, hey, can I leave the lawn, can I leave the lawnmower with you? And um, he's like, yeah, not a problem. He goes, I got to do these two lawns tomorrow, so if you can help me, um, they're yours. I mean, you can help me out, and I'll pay you. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And um, so the next day, he never showed up, and, but the, lawn, the lawnmower was there, so I took it. And I went and mowed, and those people paid me. Well, I never saw that kid again. And, uh, so I don't know who that kid was, but um, it was just kind of weird. But anyway, that, that being said, it was, people would just start asking me to start mowing their lawns. Yeah. And that's kind of And this is your first business card. This was, yeah, a little bit after that. But yeah, that's after I got going. <laughs> 
So Hicks Landscaping. Now, yeah, yeah. so you're mowing lawns. You're just going for it. You're racking it up. You're doing a job. You're, you're yeah, working yeah. hard. You're only like 12 years old this time? No, I think um, 10. 10. Oh, wow. So he's 10 years old. He's got his business card. He's mowing lawns. Um, okay, and the, the, the other amazing story I love is what did you do? Tell me about this, this World Vision Connection. Like, how long were you mowing lawns up to that point? You've been collecting some cash at this point, you know? Yeah, um, you know, it's for, like kids for candy and helping my parents out because we were still new to the, to the States. Um, yeah, like your parents would kind of help you with the lawn mowing. It got kind of big right, your no, dad I, would jump in and help out. Yeah, well, what, ha what happened was is I, I, it was a, um, there was a show and tell at school. And um, oh, but before that, oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, TV. sorry. I was watching TV late at night. Yeah. That's right. I was watching TV late at night. And back then there was a World Vision. I don't know if you guys remember World Vision, but it's where you can adopt kids from like Africa and all these other places in the world. And I picked up the phone. It was late at night, and I called and I said I wanted to adopt this kid. And uh, whoever was on the other line accepted it. And uh, <laughs> so now I was committed to paying twenty dollars a month to sponsor this kid. But I, so anyway, my mom, I told my mom, my dad was at work, and um, so when I went to school, what's that? Yeah, there you go. And um, so I took that to school to show and tell like a few months later, and the teacher thought I was pretty cool and called the newspaper. And um, sure enough, they came and interviewed us, did that, and then after that, my business um, took off like crazy. <laughs> um, and that's why the business card, the phone number and everything, right? Because um, people were just calling me left and right and I couldn't get it all done. So my dad would come and help me um, after work and on the weekends and I just never stopped working since because the phone yeah. would stop ringing. <laughs> that's right. But I mean, what's so curious, like as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, what makes you want to give $20 a month to a child in Africa? I mean, it, it, it just like, what was the motivation around that? It wasn't like a business decision. No, I, I, yeah, I just... <laughs> not fell on my lap, but I don't know, it's just kind of one of those things where, um, well, growing up in another country, I think it was, you know, being able to um, see the, the disparity, you know, and, um, from one place to another, um, and we were blessed, and then um, being able to help was pretty cool, and then with the, I don't know, when you're a kid, you're making that kind of money, what do you do with it, you know, it's like, you can only buy so many bikes and help parents out, and then you're like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> so cool, man. So, your business blows up. And then, I love what you were saying too in our conversation about generosity in the business. Like, there's sort of this cyclical, like you think you can, you, you think what, I, sometimes I think we need to hold our money and hold our resources, not surrender it to God, not give portions away because we need it, you know? And what, what if it's a rainy day and we don't get a lot of lawn mows, we gotta protect our investment. But somehow you saw that surrendering to God actually grew the business. As yeah, well. as I got older, it's kind of weird. Right? It's kind of hard to outgive God. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. It's just it's weird. One of those things that I think as I got older, you give more and just I don't know. It doesn't necessarily mean that it comes in monetary forms, but He'll give it to you whether He gives you more time, right, to give to to people or um, your gifts, your talents. Yeah, yeah, so cool. Able to use that for Him. Yeah. And then you went, you did some college and trade school stuff, and then you actually went in the military. We got a little picture of like, there you are, you're, you're heading to the army. What led you to do that? Was that a part of this sort of helping, serving? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, well, I know what it was. It was. My parents were working to help my two sisters. 
going to school, which were taking a long time. And uh, <laughs> there wasn't enough, um, you know, money to go around for me to go to college. So I was like, uh, the Army will do it. And uh, that's what they basically did it. And nice. I was going to go with a couple of friends, but they never did it. She went anyway. I went in anyway. Yeah, here's a pic. We got a pic of uh, you're, you're hanging with the crew, the tank. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's the next pick? I think it's like you're, you're uh, there, you're, you all this, you came back and you still, landscaping was just part of your Landscaping has always, I don't know what it is. I've always done side work, so I've always, I've never just had one job. I've always had multiple jobs, but landscaping's always kind of been my side gig and it's always turned into full-time work. Yeah. And so once we moved back to California, that's one of our jobs. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, you're working as a landscaper, but then... Your landscaping company, the boss who owns it, what, he sets you up in some way. That was kind of cool. Oh, yeah. No. Um, yeah. So I've been working for, for a company, and we got laid off. And um, like I said, I always did a little bit of side work. But um, there's uh, Chuck Tissell, who's like a grandpa to me. Um, he, had, he was getting ready to retire, wanting to retire, and he had about seven or eight customers. And uh, um, when I got laid off, he's... It was perfect time, and he just kind of gave me those customers, and that's what I was like. I guess I'm doing this full time. Mm. Back to it. It's sort of like he gave you the business, like you yeah. became the owner of the landscaping. Yeah, company. it was. You know, uh, it, it, he did it for side gig so he can pay for his camera stuff for his uh, hobby. And <laughs> right. I had to turn that into a. And you did. And I did. And it, it kind of kept going. Yeah, it just kept going, and got another business out. Yeah. So then you you kept buying businesses. Yeah, now yeah, and we got one more pick of you. This is like a. There you are, you're rocking the trade show. <laughs> Tell, what, what, what business did you buy next and next and next in, in a um, snapshot? Yeah, I bought another landscaper out, and basically for accounts. And um, by then, my dad was working with me and um, um, some other people. But yeah, I, I did that for quite a while. And then I, um, we bought Humboldt Fasteners, um, where this is at a trade show. And during that time, we're trying to run the landscaping, and we couldn't do that for so long. And then, um, what did I get next? Oh, um, R.P. Humboldt, um, which is Renaissance painting. Um, and then um, Shady Lady, and then within that, uh, cabinet restoration business that goes with painting, and another. Um, right. How, about how many employees, I didn't ask you this, but like how many employees would you say you, you, you supervise or you own companies that work for you just in a ballpark idea? Uh, uh, I think a little bit over 30. About 30 people, yeah. Yeah. Families. Oh, yeah. Fam yeah, that, um, yeah. Right. It's around 80. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, okay, so you've been doing this, and you've been running these businesses now, um, but there's something that keeps propelling you forward, right? And, yes. and this, this idea of generosity didn't stop and in some credible ways God kept perpetuating that forward and now you're so generous like with your time your talent your treasure um, but as you begin to become more successful maybe what what kept you motivated to keep giving keep generous um, yeah well number one my family and definitely my business partners you know my sisters one of them who's here um, and then all my employees um, I don't know it's like I, this, I could definitely not do any of it without any of their help so um, it's all to them and a lot of times they're the ones that tell me what to do so <laughs> um, but I know it's allowed me to um, um, to have more time for the church it's allowed me to give more to the church to um, organizations to um, 
people, to invest time in people. Um, like I said, it's hard to outgive God because for some reason he just keeps finding ways to give me more. And, yeah. Yeah. So cool. So cool. We, um, we want to give us another one of those moments of silence here this morning to think about places in your life that you could surrender to stewardship and wise leadership in your life, to the things that God's been giving you, and what it would look like to be generous uh, with time, generous with your talent, your skills, generous with your resources, saying, God, I want to give you back you know, a portion of my income as a sign of faith, you know, as a step of faith. What would you say to people before we take this moment of prayer? Uh, if people are on the fence about this idea of surrendering that stuff to God instead of wanting to grip tight to it, which is our natural inclination, what would be your encouraging word? How would you encourage us? Well, the timing's perfect, right? Because we're getting ready to go into two services. So um, for me, it's like, look at all these people, right? Look at all the help that I can get, which I need help. Yeah, um, <laughs> So, yeah, I'm staring at you guys so you guys can come. That's right. Come and help us out. Um, so, yeah, so there's definitely going to be a lot of help there that we're going to be needing. And um, like I said, it's, it's the relationships that we're able to build right that, with, with whatever team you decide to help with. Um, that grows into so many other things that you, it's kind of hard to see until you start meeting those people because those are your connections and your network to, um, to the church, but also obviously to God. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that whatever your talent is, whatever I don't know, whatever you can give us, <laughs> it's kind of hard to say. But um, yeah, come join us. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Well, let's do it. Let's take a moment of silence, if you would. Let's just thirty seconds here. Stay up with me, Eric. I'll have you pray for us in a moment too. Um, but let's just take a moment, just you and God, and just consider this idea. God, what would you have me surrender to in my life in a new way? so that God can grow us in generosity. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to spend a few moments this morning just in response today, just partnering with God in the work of his spirit. I want to ask Eric to pray for us. And today we're going to do something different and unique as a response. We've never really passed the basket before in church, the offering basket. We've never done that. And it's very common practice in churches, of course, right? But we've just never done that. But we thought today would be kind of an interesting time to do that. And, and we have a connect card on every seat. And so there's pens also in like every third, fourth row, there's some pens. And I'll, if you don't have a pen, I want to invite you to write on this connect card and put it in the basket as it goes around. Okay. So there's ways to, you can write something on there like, I want to, I want to join a team or whatever. And you just give us your contact information so we can reach out to you and 
tell us about the teams and see what you might be interested in. There's a box that you can check and say, I'm interested in like small groups. Maybe you haven't joined a group yet and there's still time. You can say, I want to, I want to get involved in that way. On Easter, we're doing baptisms. Maybe you haven't been baptized yet. This will be a step of faith that you want to take. There's a little box. You can check it right on the little thing. I want to be baptized, you know? Um, so there's all sorts of ways to respond this morning. Oftentimes with giving at Branches, we just do the box in the back. On your way out, we have a, like a website that you can go to, a secure online thing, this QR code. You can text. But you can also, as the basket's going around, you can put your offering in there too if you'd like. Um, but today is a chance to to respond as the band plays this song. Um, we're gonna pass these baskets around. We don't have ushers really, they're just right in the front, but maybe if the folks near this closest basket, if you don't mind grabbing it, and then pass it towards this direction out and we'll, when it gets to your end of your row, just ah, swing it around to the next row. Um, and I invite you this morning, maybe hold on to the basket for just a moment. Before you pass it quick, just hold it for a moment and make a little prayer right in your heart. It says, God, how do you want me to respond to you today? And so just hold it for a second. You don't need to do anything today. You don't need to feel obligated to do anything with the basket. You can just hold it, say a prayer, and pass it over, right? Um, but there's all sorts of ways to respond today too. And, and that connect card, our time, our talent, our treasure. How might God want to grow us in generosity together? So before we start passing those more, Eric, would you pray for us? Maybe a little bit in Spanish, and then say a prayer in English for us, if you don't mind. Okay. Gracias, Señor, por día más de vida que los da, Señor. Señor, quiero orar para hoy, Señor, para la iglesia, Señor, que por, por favor abras nuestros corazones, Señor, para que tú quieres hacer lo que tú quieres hacer en nuestras vidas, Señor. Uh, señor, quiero orar también para que, um, que los utilice, Señor, en, en formas que eh, no normalmente utilizamos, Señor, pero que estés con los enseñas en las formas que podemos a, a ayudarte, Señor, para que tú, para tu gloria, Señor. Y gracias, Señor, por todo. Lord, I'd like to just pray for, um, Lord, that you will just stir up our hearts um, in this church to see where it is that you need us, Lord, for your glory, Lord. I just pray that um, as this church grows and all the new people come in, Lord, that we will just, um, uh, just help us, to, Lord, to just... Uh, come to you, Lord, and, and show us where you want us to uh, want us to do and want us to be, Lord. And I just thank you so much for being such an awesome God, and thank you for um, just blessing this church so much, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.